Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 21. Again, welcome if you're visiting. We are so glad to have you. If you've been here a long time, we are also so glad to have you. We are going through the book of Mark. However, for this Sunday and next Sunday, which uh, this Sunday is Palm Sunday, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, um, we're deviating from the book of Mark. We'll come back to it after Easter. And we want to look at um, Jesus' triumphal entry. I just remembered one other thing I want to show everybody. Hopefully I don't make the microphone squeal. Seth is panicking. But how many of you got one of these? If you didn't get one, you can get one after church. This is a great way you can put it on um, Instagram or social media of some sort and let people know, invite them to church. You can put these in your yard. These will be up here um, after service. So I just uh, wanted to mention that. Okay. All right. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for its truth. Lord, we thank you for this familiar moment that powerfully illustrates who Jesus is. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would help me to communicate out of this text and that you would help all of us to hear, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, melt any stony hard-heartedness that would be in this room or watching online. God, open us up to the truth of your word. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last Sunday, the sermon was an hour. This Sunday, we might make 30 minutes. This is going to be one of those sermons that is swiftly to the point. Now, some of you are like, you didn't want to do it, but you were secretly going, yes. And then there's the weirdos out there that are like, I would like a two-hour sermon, which are the, my favorite people in the church, just so you know. Uh, not that I play favorites, but I'm keeping track. So, um, But this morning, it's going to be just sort of direct and to the point. This, this Sunday, in the church calendar, uh, in the, if you're following a liturgical calendar, which we don't, but it, it's the liturgical calendar is something that helps everybody just kind of follow along together. It's actually a great thing uh, that it keeps everybody 
thinking about and talking about the same things. If you ever went to a, anybody grew up in a Methodist or Baptist church that used a quarterly in Sunday school? Raise your hand, you know what a quarterly is. Uh, I can smell the quarterlies from my mother's Methodist church. Um, they just have a distinct old library smell uh, printed on that paper. I don't know where they get it. They get it at the Methodist printing shop. I don't know. But uh, those quarterlies that send everybody through on a regular basis every single year through the scripture. You know what I'm And so the whole church is on the same page with the Sunday school curriculum. And so that means that you can have conversations and discussions with people within the church uh, based on that quarterly lesson. Well, the liturgical calendar is the same way. It keeps the church, or it once upon a time did, on a quarterly system that kind of kept everybody up to speed on the same things. So if you ever wonder, what is the point of a liturgical calendar? That's what it is. Well, this is a big one. This is a big Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday where we celebrate and and really focus on the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we're almost there in the book of Mark. So you're going to hear another sermon uh, on this subject in several weeks' time. So just so you know, uh, that's why this morning I just want to kind of be direct into a, a particular point. Um, here in this story. So let's let's look at this. Uh, there's something really interesting um, that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but just something I want you to know. Uh, in Ezekiel 11.23, and I don't think I gave you that verse, did I? Did I give you that verse? I don't think I did. So this is just off, off, the, off the beaten path. Um, but in Ezekiel 11.23, it, the prophet Ezekiel is given a vision, and he's given a prophetic word for the nation to... Let them know that they are under judgment and that the glory of God leaves Jerusalem and goes up on the Mount of Olives on the eastern side. And what's really interesting, and I never would have picked this out, but I was reading a commentary that Jesus in his triumphal entry, where he's starting at, where it says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Jesus is on top of the Mount of Olives through this road, and when you are here in this village, you are on the east side of the mountain, looking down into the valley of Kidron and where Jerusalem is, and you have a panoramic view of the area. Now, growing up in West Virginia, I can see this very clearly. How many of you have been to Seneca Rock or Blackwater Falls or any of those places, or really out here on one of the hills, and you can look down into Huntington and see the river, you can see the city, you can see all of that. That's the view that Jesus has right here. He is looking down, has a panoramic view. And what's really interesting is the king of glory coming from that same place that Ezekiel said that the glory departed and went up on the eastern side of the mountain. Now Jesus on the eastern side of the mountain. According to Hebrews, the brightness of the glory of the image of God is going down back to the temple, representing the glory of God coming back in. It's really just a neat thought. But Jesus does not come in this moment with trumpets and fanfare. He's coming a second time with trumpets and fanfare. 
But on the initial going in to the city, he asked for a donkey. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, I love that we watched that little cartoon video because you all saw that, right? And you, you, you saw that's what the disciples do. And Jesus says, if anybody asks you, what are you doing? Tell them the Lord needs them. And they're going to say, okay. I would love to have seen how that exchange actually went. Because all they, all they, if somebody comes to my house and takes something from it, and I say, hey, who are you and what are you doing? And they were to say to me, the Lord needs it. I, I probably wouldn't say, oh, okay, great. I totally trust you, stranger that I've never seen before. But that's what happens here because, and it's interesting the way Matthew says it, this took place to fulfill, this is verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And now Jesus does what uh, we get a lot of in the New Testament. He amalgamates Isaiah and Zechariah as two prophecies, squishes them together, and gives us, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's right out of, primarily, that's from Zechariah chapter 9. And the idea of the Messiah coming in this way is something they knew, but something they didn't grasp. And when I say they, the Jewish community knew this was a messianic prophecy. They knew that the king was going to come in. But in their head, they had an image still of a sword, of a crown, of bloodshed. They had a, an idea in their head that when the Messiah comes, he's going to restore the throne of David. Have you heard this over the past several months? You're going to keep hearing it because it is so important to understand what Jesus was up against in the first century he was up against not just Pharisees who hated him, but he was up against zealots who wanted him to be something that he wasn't. I would like to make a parallel that you and I live in a culture with people who hate Jesus or they want him to be something that he isn't. They want Jesus to be, my favorite way to describe it is, they want Jesus to be a pot-smoking hippie. That's what they want Jesus to be. Everything's fine, everything's cool, no worries, no problems. I'm not going to judge you at all. Actually, he's the judge of the universe. The exact opposite is true. He is the judge. But if you come to the judge prior to the judgment, you can be freed of the judgment. But only through the judge. You've got to go through the judge. And he is simultaneously the Savior who loves the people. But when they saw this verse, when they saw this in the Old Testament, even though it uses the word humble, somehow in the first century, they still see, all right, the throne of David is going to be reestablished. When David was 
kicking everybody's teeth in, taking names. He was really tough. And that's what they're looking for. But now he's kind of like Samson with supernatural strength, and he's kind of like Elijah calling down fire from heaven. They have this vision of, of a Messiah that's coming to conquer and take over. But that is not how the triumphal entry happens. Jesus is marching to his death. And he knows it. But it still gives you this beautiful picture. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now it doesn't see Matthew's the only one that mentions the two, the donkey and uh, the donkey's colt. But the idea would be that nobody has ever ridden this little colt before. It was never ridden before. And if you know anything about horses or animals at all, uh, that's not normal. Because the first time a human being sits on one of these horses, their reaction is not, oh, okay, this is great. They have to be horse broken, correct? They have to get used to the idea of a human being on them. Jesus just gets on it for the first time, never been ridden, which was also the prerogative of a king to have its his own beast of burden that he used for his own purposes. There's a lot in there. But this donkey doesn't react in any other way other than what the king of kings says it's going to do. Jesus can control wind and waves. He can also control donkeys. And they ride in. What you're seeing here in verses 8 and 9 is the true, this is kind of a scary passage of Scripture, because what they're saying and doing and and the worship they're giving is right. It's correct. It's the right thing to do. This is the king coming into his city. This is all true. They're laying down the palm branches. They're laying down their cloaks. And you saw in that video we watched, it had the branches and the cloaks. It gave you a good image of Jesus walking in that way. It's the image of a king coming into his own. They're doing all the right things. They're saying Hosanna, verse 9. Not only, okay, they're, they're actually slightly Pentecostal because the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. They were not whispering it. This is a crescendo of voices. This is a crowd. It says they, they were before him and following him, also known as surrounding him meaning Jesus is in the center of this crowd of people. Branches are down. Cloaks are down. He's riding into the city. The disciples are there, and they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna means, Lord, save us now. It had become a colloquial expression that meant, Lord, save. It was an expression of worship and asking God to bless, but it also carried with it the idea of, Lord, we need help. Save us all throughout the Psalms. When you see the word Hosanna, it is the people saying, Lord, save us from what's going on. So you get the flavor in even their worship that they're looking to him as the king who comes to save, which is 100% correct. Just not the way they thought that it was. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
The reason this passage of Scripture is a little bit scary, in my opinion, is because you can sing the right words and even get excited about them. And your heart be somewhere totally opposite of where God is. I don't mean that to scare you, but I mean that to scare you. I mean that as the same way the Apostle Paul said, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Meaning, are you a believer in Jesus Christ or are you an American in the Bible Belt going through American Bible Belt motions? Because by golly, it's Sunday and it's almost Easter and this is what we are supposed to do. And I think it's important to check our hearts and say, do I love and honor the king for who he is or who I wish him to be? Am I submitted to his word? Am I submitted to his, to his lordship? Or am I just using Jesus as an ointment to rub on the boo-boos of my life when things are bad? Because these are the same people that next week are going to be saying, give us Barabbas. Same people. We're not focusing on that today. Verse 10 is really what I wanted us to spend time on. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? I don't know if you've ever been in a town when the President of the United States comes, but it messes everything up. The traffic is messed up. Everything's messed up. Has anybody ever experienced that before? Or the governor? I remember when I was in high school, the governor came, and uh, I, where I grew up was there's Parkersburg South High School, and then a cemetery, and then my house. And there were secret service agents in the cemetery near our house they were they were just there, just there with guns. They were there with guns uh, because they were monitoring all points surrounding that school. And since there was this whole area of woods in a cemetery behind the school, if somebody wanted to come and try to uh, assassinate the governor, they want to be there to stop and scout out everything. And it just totally changes the dynamic of of everything because. Traffic is, is messed up. There's a buzz. What's going on? Oh, the governor's here. Now, Jesus didn't have any Secret Service agents. But when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the whole city starts buzzing. Because there's a giant crowd saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. The Pharisees, which we're not looking at this morning, they're ticked off. They're trying to get him to stop it. Jesus tells them, if they don't praise me, the rocks will do it. Which sealed the deal, by the way, for his death. The Pharisees were already plotting on how to get him. They're like, this is, this is it. Verse 11 tells us the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They knew he was something but they didn't fully know who he was. The question this morning I want to ask everybody, I want you to ask yourself, if you've been a Christian 50 years, still ask yourself, who is this? 
Who is Jesus? Who is he? It reminds me of what happened earlier as we were studying in Mark. But since we're not in Mark, we're in Matthew. Let's look at Matthew's account. Once you go to Matthew 16. We're going to verse 13. This reminds me when the people in Jerusalem are saying, who is this? To a conversation Jesus had earlier with his disciples. Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So it's a similar question. Who is this? Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? And you remember the answer. They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? And then Peter gives the great revelatory answer. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is unambiguous. This is direct. This is a declaration of the true nature and identity of who Jesus is. You are the Christ. That's, that means the anointed one of God. It is a title. It's not Jesus' last name. It references the fact that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is a deeper answer. You are the Christ, which is the Son of God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This was a supernatural revelation from God to Peter, opened his eyes to see the true identity of Jesus. And this is what I pray for everybody here and everybody listening online, that you would see not the American version of Jesus or some theological strange angle on Jesus or the pot-smoking hippie Jesus or whatever Jesus that we have fashioned in our own image, but that you would see the biblical Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who reigns over all the earth and who created it. I want you to go with me to another verse. I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 19. In the last month, we've went to Revelation twice, so you could say things are getting pretty serious. If there was ever a goosebump passage in the book of Revelation, it's this one. Because of the triumphal entry in his first coming, humble on this donkey, headed towards the cross, was something that was hidden. Jesus says all throughout his ministry, this. This is a hidden thing. Had to be revealed. Peter saw it. This, this hidden thing that was going to happen, though 
when we look back at it through the scripture, Isaiah 53, it clearly says that it is the will of the Lord to crush him. He took our sin and our transgressions and our all of the sickness and all of the wrong and the ill of the world, and he was our substitute, stood in our place. It says it to me clear as day. and None of them saw it. That first coming, the Jewish people had mingled it with the second coming. Because there's prophetic passages in the Old Testament about the reign of the Messiah, which are true. These haven't happened yet. And here in Revelation 19, we are seeing the second coming and what it will look like when he comes in judgment. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the King that is to come. And what we just read was him coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Which means that the king came, and next week on Easter Sunday we will talk about what he did as the suffering servant dying on the cross for our sin, raised from the dead for our justification, Romans 5 says. Raised, actually the end of Romans 4. When he comes the second time, this image here is what it looks like. This is when judgment comes. You do not want to meet the king without having known him through the cross. You do not want to meet him outside of his saving grace. I am not trying to use fear. I am trying to use a biblical reality. This is who he is. This is who he is to come. We haven't seen it yet, but it's coming. And here is the glorious truth. He rode in in the triumphal entry to go to the cross to save sinners so that at the second coming, we will be people that are with him, not found against him. 
there is this gap between the triumphal entry and Revelation 19. And thank God we are living in that gap. The Bible says it's called the last days. The moment Jesus rode in to Jerusalem, that week of his last life, last week of his life, and then he was crucified and raised from the dead, and then about 40 days later, uh, the church gets kicked off on the day of Pentecost. From that day till now, we are living in this time of grace, where his grace is poured out, where he is seeking to save the lost. And if you're here and you don't know him, you don't have to go into Revelation chapter 19 scared out of your mind, oh no. You can come to the cross and find that Jesus died for sinners. That was the humble entry. That's the triumphal entry. They were right to worship him. They were right to praise him. But they didn't really know who he was. The full counsel of God's word and the message to you this morning is be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Believe in the gospel. Quit playing around as if this is kind of true or something mom used to believe in. Look at your own heart and say, I believe. Or just reject the whole thing. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Those are really the options. I want to encourage you to think about this, to inquire about it, to go before God in prayer. And you don't have to have a fancy one. Just say, Lord, I believe. I surrender to you. You're the king. You are the king. You came in humility to rescue sinners like me. And I know and believe and confess you are coming back to bring with you everyone that names Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is who He is and that is what He's coming to do. He was and is the suffering servant. He is the God-man. He is the Redeemer of Israel. He is the healer of bodies and souls and minds. He is the ruler of nations. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. On his shoulder is the government, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There is coming a day where every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will be gathered around the throne, worshiping him with one unified voice, and that is only possible because of what he did on the back of a donkey riding into the city of Jerusalem weeping over it, according to the book of Luke, for their rejection of him. Weeping as he went to save people who rejected him. His hands are outstretched to you. Be saved from your sin. Glorious truth is you can't save yourself. You just embrace the Savior. I want everybody to stand up with me.
I want to ask you to bow your head with me if you would. Is there anybody this morning, I don't do this very often, but is there anybody this morning that says, I just want to publicly give my heart to Jesus? I just want to, that's what I want to do. I, I don't think a prayer of salvation is there's some sort of formula, but sometimes just publicly declaring, I want to declare it publicly. Come up in front of a group of people and just say, I, I'm going to give my heart to the King. Is there anybody this morning before we go, just come up front. I'm not going to ask Daniel for music. I'm not going to ask for any of that. But if you need him, I want you to just come up front. And elders, if you want to come up and help to pray, it's wonderful. Rob, do you want to come up? Ken? Church, would you all just begin to pray? Yeah. And if there's anybody else, I want you to come. Amen. 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 Church, we are in a serious business. Church is meant for fellowship. It is meant for connection. It is meant for ministry gifts. It's meant for all of those things. But it is meant to be a community of people that surround other people and give them a reason to be together in Christ and to proclaim Christ until He comes. So I'm going to leave here today encouraged by what God has done. And I just want to invite all of you, if you'd like to rejoice a little bit before we go. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Listen, grab one of these signs. Invite somebody to church next week. Easter Sunday, they'll be way more likely to come. We, we don't know how God orchestrates and you coming in 
and inviting somebody you just don't know. You don't know that may be the moment that God has just put together. You get to be a part of it. So praise the Lord. We're going to be officially dismissed. I love everybody. We'll see you at 4 o'clock for Easter eggs. God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.